You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. I'm Rodney Davis. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Patrick, Caitlin, Mark, maybe Towner. Big week this week, the Biden campaign announcement earlier this week, and we should talk about that, but a big week for us. We hosted a great event the other night on the roof of 101 Constitution overlooking the Capitol, celebrating the arrival of our friend and partner, Rodney Davis, who is not on the podcast this morning, so we can actually talk about him and brag about him a little bit because there's no way he'd let us do that with him on the podcast, but it was a a great event. Our most of our team was there from around the country. Lots of members of Congress, lots of, lots of folks around town, a few hundred people. It's a great celebration of Rodney and our business and a a lot of fun. Mark, any comments? The highlight for me was the Joe Crowley, uh, Rodney Davis reunion, bipartisanship at its best. They were hugging and telling stories, and I I couldn't help but observe that they both uh, were surprised to find themselves in the private sector. Their, their primaries did not go as expected. But I just thought it was a beautiful Washington moment that belied the the general impression that it's close to civil war in town, that there, there's a lot more back and forth than than people get to see. And that was a that was a fun part of the night for me. Yeah, very good. Patrick, you look tired. Yeah, it's been it's been one of those weeks. Uh but it's all been fun, uh, good stuff. So it's um it was a great reception, you know, so fun. We had colleagues and clients from across the country, like you said, Rodney had lots of friends and folks he's worked with over the years, and it was great, just a wonderful showing for for our firm. Yeah, 12, 12 plus bipartisan members of Congress have gotten several notes since the event. Just saying that really speaks. It's it's a clear testament to Rodney and his leadership in the House and and our team as well. That you know, just the the sheer um, amount of members that that showed in a bipartisan manner, friends from all sides of the aisle, and it was a really really great event. But I, I second Patrick. It's been it's been quite a week. <laughs> We 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 logged some uh, some miles and heels on marble on or I did on, on the hill this week in addition to uh, all the excitement we had going on. So yeah, all right. So the Biden campaign announcement. I went back and watched the 2020 campaign announcement, and they are basically the same announcement. Mark, you look puzzled. Oh, no, no. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I do. I have an observation on that. The 2020 campaign announcement was three minutes long, just like this one, plus or minus. And the first two minutes of the video were about Charlottesville. 
by the way, I'm not, I don't have an issue with that at all. This campaign announcement, he didn't, what, what didn't he talk about? He didn't talk about infrastructure. He didn't talk about China. He didn't talk about Ukraine. He didn't talk about the Re Inflation Reduction Act. He didn't talk about jobs and the economy. He didn't talk about steering us through COVID. He talked about freedom, the fight for democracy, banning books. He talked about MAGA. He talked about finishing the job. He referenced the Supreme Court. It wasn't policy focused at all. It was all about, again, the battle for the soul of America, just like it was in 2020. He talked about the opposition, essentially. And that was it was striking. I mean, I thought it was well done, but I, I, there's no, but I thought it was well done. And I was just struck by the content as being not about his accomplishments, but about the, the opposition. Look, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. They knew what they were doing in the 2022 midterms and they know what they're doing now. And there, there's obviously these things are, it probably they probably worked for six months on that video. I mean, they they're framing the message the way they want the message framed and they're framing the election the way they want the election framed. And I thought it was it was well done, but it just shows you what they think is a winning message for 2024. Patrick, Mark. Well, I, so, I wanted to just observe the face I made when you said they were the same was because to me, well, everything you said is, is true. I agree. I thought it was well done. It's what they have been saying for now four years since the 2020 campaign began. But the one very big difference, however, very big difference that is going to be a defining difference, I think, in this campaign, which is that in 2020, Joe Biden announced live his candidacy for the presidency in Philadelphia, no less, at a rally. And this was done uh, by video and not even from the Rose Garden. He, this is going to be a Rose Garden campaign. He is going to clearly run as president, even though he didn't tout his record as president. And we're just going to see a lot less of Joe Biden than we did before. For Maybe, Patrick. Long four years. Yeah, but but the the point is the message and yeah. what they're what they are framing the issue to be i don't think well go ahead patrick well the the threat is the same so yeah it's not surprising to me that uh, to your point out i think we're saying this is kind of what you're saying i mean if this was an open republican primary a real open republican primary and you had a younger generation of leaders you know preparing to the party preparing to nominate someone that would really be a generational contrast. I think they would be leaning much harder on their legislative accomplishments and things like that. But I think they're pretty sure uh, that they're going to be facing the same candidate that they did four years ago. And I think that they they believe that the best way to turn out the vote is to remind people what the threat is. And I think it worked to your point. I think it worked in 
2022, it was obviously abortion. It was in some of these states, you know, the idea of secretaries of state and governors in some of these states that Trump picked that maybe would wouldn't be, uh, you know, playing straight when it came to certifying future elections. And and I just I, yeah, I mean, I think it's a smart move. I think the legislative accomplishments, you know, I think they're the administration's very proud of of what they've accomplished. Um, and that's why you want to get elected is to to do things. But in terms of winning the election, if it's going to be Biden Trump again, I yeah, I, I think that's exactly why they did it. The only I think the only picture or reference, direct reference they had to Trump in the video was a picture of Trump and DeSantis hugging one another. I believe that's right. Ooh. Caitlin, yeah, what, you don't what are your need thoughts? To say his name, right? I mean, everyone knows right. what we're talking about. And on Mark's point, I do agree that it'll be a Rose Garden, you know, kind of featuring him as president type campaign. I will note, typically, it's so interesting that typically and you have an incumbent and then you have a challenger. And part of the challenge for the challenger is getting people to see you as president when the other guy is president. In 2020, it was interesting because even though Trump was president and Biden wasn't, Biden had been around for so long and he had been vice president as eight years that it wasn't that big of a stretch to picture him as president. And then this time, your challenger is a former president. So it's just, it potentially. So it's just, it's really interesting just kind of how that all looks. It, it, we can't forget, though, Patrick, Biden did not win place or show in Iowa or New Hampshire four years ago. So he, he does begin with a stronger, uh, a stronger hand to play. He, he does, but he didn't. I don't think it is going to be a Rose Garden campaign. He, I think it's going to be a Donald Trump MAGA campaign. That's the point. He isn't. He's going to do the same thing he did last time. He's going to hide in the basement. I mean, the White House this time. It's going to be this, this is the like while you're all watching the sideshow. And if you want to go back to crazy town, go ahead and do that. But meanwhile, here on planet Earth, uh, you know, I'm at the White House doing the people's business like that's I think, Mark, right. That's what they're going to try to do. Well, I think they're going to try this. Uh, Joe from Scranton strategy, not, I mean, yes, he's the president, but again, look at what they featured in this video. They didn't feature anything, not, not nothing. I mean, the Supreme court appointment, but they didn't focus on his accomplishments as president at all. They focused on the other side. Caitlin. I actually think it, it look, I, I texted everyone after I saw the ad and said I had goosebumps. I thought it was pretty compelling in the sense to Patrick's point, you didn't need to mention Donald Trump. You had this big opening scene of the smoke and the Capitol kind of under you know, under siege on January 6th. It actually, to me, struck me as having ethos of more of a traditional Republican ad. There was a lot of imagery of the flag and freedom very, very good point. and protecting democracy and I think that's more compelling than him, you know, talking about the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, so-called Inflation Reduction Act and some of the other less popular things he's done as president and more, you know, pivoting to this message of freedom, which 
you know, look, it's an ad and, and, and it's, um, people are going to take with it what they will, but the music and the imagery and the kind of drama of it all, I, it was, I thought they did a good job. It was pretty compelling, but I think it's ironic that Democrats are now, you know, positioning themselves as the party of freedom and freedom and and hundred percent. They turn the Republican message on it in its head, Towner. It's a Republican message. It's a Star Trek thing over there. So it's like easy. It's easy to claim that when the other the the other side doesn't seem interested in it. Towner. Ever since President Obama ran on killing bin Laden, we have been basically force-fed a message from both parties that we need to be deathly afraid of the other party. And this fits into that narrative, and that is why I'm announcing this morning I will be voting for Tim Scott every opportunity I can. I will be double maxing personal dollars to Tim Scott. He's the only candidate in this race on either side of the aisle who's actually talking about something positive. A morning in America again. And so I'm not going to play in to the negative politics of Republicans and Democrats. I'm going okay. the high road here. Yep. They go low. We stay high, right? Uh, right I, I like Tim Scott <laughs> a lot, too. I know he has no chance of getting the nomination. But when, I do think jump <laughs> in formally, please. Yeah, I'm in. But when, when do you get that opportunity to vote for him? He's got to make it to... Well, I live in the District of Columbia. I was, that's I why I'm masking. Uh, yeah, yeah. I we actually do vote in federal elections. Uh, DC would have you note that they are not the DC residents are not allowed to do anything from a voting perspective, but that is not true. We are able to vote in federal elections and in state elections. And yeah. I'll remind everyone there was a sizable percentage in 2016 that uh, gave Jeb Bush the Republican primary vote, mm-hmm. and despite the fact that he was not on the ballot. Wait, D.C. voters can vote in state elections, Tyler? Is that what you said? Well, we can vote for our mayor. Our oh, okay. Yeah. That, yeah. All right. That yeah. makes sense. But the Democrats have done a good like, job. Can you just go to Maryland and Virginia on the same day and vote in both states? That would be fast. No, we actually have um, some some voter ID requirements here in, in the Commonwealth. We do. We have very strong voter ID requirements in the highly Democratic bastion of Washington, D.C., we shockingly have voter ID requirements. I love Virginia Kimblin. He's one of my favorite new characters in our our play is Virginia Caitlin is so good. So (laughs) I, I was particularly struck by the reference to banning books. Biden emphasized it, paused on it, kind of called it out as its own as its own thing maybe i maybe i maybe that just hit me personally but like they obviously made a point of it in a presidential campaign announcement you know there was a big article in politico that they're gonna feature that uh i think it was the last couple days that uh was political west wing or one of those ones and they said that that the biden campaign (laughs) is planning to hone in on that howard specifically so i think that that was exactly their intention Patrick, I read that article and I read a New York Times article this week, which were both exceptionally informative. We're focusing on banning books. And then the New York Times actually put out an article that had the most usually or typically banned books. And on that list was not any book that any of the five of us would ever have heard of in our lives. And I was actually offended just by the titles of those books. I have to admit, I am not in favor of banning books. Like, if you tell me you want to take, like, Catch-22 out of the library, I'll punch you in the nose. 
I, but I have to say, I read that list of books <laughs> and I thought to myself, I'm actually okay with banning books if it's these books. Uh, they were basically like, you know, hustler novels. Well, and a lot of a lot of parents across the country are with you on that towner, but yeah, but I, I mean, but then it's going to become well, political. The school board elections I just saw. Yeah. The reason they're doing it is because it's, it's it's working. I mean that yeah. there is we there is not a proven case study to show that 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 the other side of that issue is winning. I think I think no, it's. I mean, all. if the Republicans want to, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was shocked the New York Times put out the list because I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they're they're like, you know, pulling back the, the curtain on the librarian of Oz. But it all goes to Howard's point that the Biden team knows what it's doing. This election is going to be won. The Electoral College is going to be decided in the suburbs of Pennsylvania, the suburbs of Michigan, suburbs, I suppose, of Arizona. And that is nobody's reading the book list in the suburbs. They are just against banning books as an idea. And and that is directed to uh, Delaware County, Pennsylvania. The, the RNC should send to all Democratic voters the books that have been banned. Yeah. And just just send them into their house the, the same problem. way Dolly Parton sends children's if, books. To if in fact. Kids. Trump is the nominee. I'm hoping that prediction's wrong. But if, in fact, he's the nominee, he's not exactly the best flag carrier for banning books. So, it's- Mark, you better hope you better hope that that prediction is right, not wrong. Uh, Patrick and I had that discussion the other day. We we still have post traumatic stress from saying exactly that in 2016. Uh, it's I don't- not- I, I don't want to, I don't want that guy on the ticket. I don't no, want, listen. This is I don't where, want him. Just, I don't want him to right. be anywhere near 1600 Pennsylvania <laughs> Avenue Great. in any way, shape or form. But if it's another candidate, Mark, you better get your game on. Yeah. I, I would yeah. rather take this is what Patrick. One thousand percent prefer to take our chances with Tim Scott than to have any chance that Donald Trump can be reelected president. Agreed. I, it's just. It, I'm glad to hear you system. support a Republican White House, Mark. Yeah, I, I don't in know. A, in a system where you only get two choices, the lesson of 2016 is you can't have one of the choices, or in the view of some people in that election, both of the choices be not acceptable. And, and yeah. I, I totally agree. I would rather have a Republican president who's not Donald Trump and preferably not Ron DeSantis in 2024, then I just have to worry about it. That's like, we're all, we all have our party affiliations, but I mean, this is like an America first. Do. Like, America first. Like, first. America wait, wait, wait. You can't we, say America we do? first. America do? first. Oh yeah, oh, not you, but. <laughs> country, country first. Country first. There you go. No, Howard, you're America's swing voter. There you're you a go. one person poll example for the. I live election. in the People's Republic of Montgomery County. I'm not swinging anything. Oh man. Well, that's a that's a fine question though, Howard. If it was anybody except Trump or DeSantis, anybody except Trump or DeSantis against Joe Biden, like would you be put to a question there? Would you have to really think about it? 
Well, I, Tanner, I try to think about everything. Well, I know, but I'm mean, just, I'm saying well, like, it can't be anybody. If he's it's not prepared to respond to that question, Tanner. Yeah, <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying Democrats are, are of the posture right now that they, I think they still hope, 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 hope. And this is why this video screamed it to me that they hope Trump is going to be the nominee because they feel like they have a chance to win that. I think if somebody else, like if a Tim Scott ran against Joe Biden, I think, First of all, Democrats are not postured in the right way right now to be able to respond directly to that candidate. They would have to switch a lot of their messaging around. And and then second, totally. of all, you know, they would have to. I think it's a serious concern. I think it's a serious no concern. Would I take a hard look? Totally true. Yeah. Would I take a hard look? Absolutely. I'd take a hard look. You think the country, I mean, the country is not like overwhelmingly, look at the, look at his approval rating. The country's not overwhelmingly like begging to reelect a guy in his 80s during a potential recession. It's like not what's going on. It's just, again, it's the, what is, what does he keep saying in the campaign? Don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. That That's, that's what we're talking about. It's, it's, it's yeah. just that it's me or it's all this crazy stuff that you guys remember and you've seen and you don't want to go back and do that. And that's, I mean, that's a pretty compelling way to get reelected, I think. So, and by the way, Kamala Harris is an, is a huge liability for the ticket. If it's somebody younger, right. Who uh, isn't a MAGA nut house. And Howard, you're, yeah, go ahead. It's president Harris. too. <laughs> Please. Sorry, 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 sorry. Well, Not that's the point. It's Trump, Tyler, but I agree with you, Howard. If I, it's someone else, it becomes more of a question. I will say anecdotally, because I was getting driving to the office two mornings ago, and the vice president's motorcade passed in front of my car, and I got stopped right in front of I was like the last car, and then I didn't get through. And yeah. so I was frustrated. Purpose, by the way, yeah. just so it you know. Probably was. It probably <laughs> was. And I, I, she jams our cell phone signals she, while we're driving by the Naval Observatory. She jams so. our cell. They never did that for the vice president. All of a sudden, they're doing it now. And I think, I swear, that VP convoy has gotten just a bit longer. Bigger. And louder. And more and, annoying. You know, I think well, they're like, hey, let's start shifting a little bit. Let's start shifting a little bit of our resources over. We got to we gotta double down here. Because behind her is McCarthy. And so they're like, we cannot have... We cannot have that. So, Mark, if it's let's just use Tim Scott, Towner's guy. He's double maxing. He announced double max publicly. Double max. If it's Tim, if it's a Tim Scott, Mark, and you know, you've got an 80 plus year old Biden and you've got Kamala basically waiting to be president, there is a decent chance, a decent chance that Kamala Harris will be president if biden gets reelected how how do you feel about how do you feel about that mark I, I haven't talked to any democrat literally not a single democrat have i talked to that thinks that she should be president of the united states or that is happy about her potentially being president of the united states so how do you feel about her potentially being president of the united states well I am a Biden guy. I'm voting for Joe Biden, whomever his running mate is and whomever he's running against. And I'm rooting for him to win and I'm rooting for him to live. Obviously rooting for him to live through a, a second term. But it 
it is it's probably, a low bar, Mark. It's a low bar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm with Joe. You're I'm a broken hip. Are you double maxing? Are we making commitments here? Yeah. Does that because Tanner because Aaron just found out they got to scale back the Disney next Disney World trip. It's still maxing. Man, it's tough with these interest rates to take a second mortgage. (laughs) Mark, I mean, how do you? But how do you feel about that? Do you? I would prefer a Harris presidency to a Trump presidency. Period. 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 Period, how, period, period. How would you feel about a Harris presidency versus a Tim Scott presidency? Don't don't know, but doesn't matter because I'm not voting for Tim Scott over Joe Biden because Kamala Harris is his vice presidential candidate. Yes, but voting for Joe Biden. If a point, a point on that, and this is again, I agree. Howard, I agree. She becomes more of a liability if it's like a Tim Scott. I totally agree with the premise of that question, but. I just think if it's a Tim Scott, and this is why I think the Republicans are just, I know they don't, neither party votes as a monolithic block, but this is why I just think the Republicans are crazy to nominate this guy again, is that I think that someone else could win. I think a Tim Scott could, could would do real well in the suburbs, I think could present a very compelling message. He's got an unbelievable personal story. He genuinely seems to be a good guy. I, and I just you're what you're watching this and you're like, I just don't understand with some of the options that are potentially available, why they would do this again. But it's Trump to me at our party with Rodney. We were talking, we had some great clients and friends there. We were talking about charismatic political figures that just have existed. And in District of Columbia, Marion Barry is like a perfect example. We were talking about Edwin Edwards in Louisiana. These just larger than life people who just the, the places where they have gotten elected kind of can't quit them. That to me is like Trump and the Republican Party. He's just this like superstar that they can't they're just they can't get away from him. Well, I Mark, I don't I think his vice presidential uh, candidate. Uh, he... oh. That's a great question. Probably Ron DeSantis. That, no, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> it's going to be Carrie no. Lake. It's got to be Carrie Lake. No, right? I think he's sort of sour. He came up this week and I think is sort of soured on her, which is well, what the I'm only saying, good thing no, about anything. Nobody is going to vote for Joe Biden instead of Donald Trump because of whom Trump picks as his right. running right. My point, and he's almost as old as the president. Mark, Mark, we've never seen this movie before. We've never seen this movie before. I don't think that when you have the oldest president in the in history running for reelection, I don't think the traditional notion that the VP doesn't matter applies. I just don't think it it. it we're going to find out. I, I hear you. We're going to find out, although I'll, I'll take us back a, a few years uh, with Professor French here. He can help me with this. But FDR, I don't know how old he was. He was in a wheelchair. He was sick. He swapped out uh, one vice president or a guy from Missouri nobody had ever heard of. And 18 months later, Harry Truman was president. But nobody voted for, help me, Towner, who did he run against? Wendell Wilkie in 1944? Right, yes. But Henry Wallace voted for Wendell Wilkie because 
because FDR picked Harry Truman as his vice president. So here's the funny thing about that, about that switch out between his second and his third term. First of all, nobody knew if FDR was going to run again. He's he did the Joe Biden. He wasn't doing well. He obviously survived his third term and ran for a fourth term and died shortly into his fourth term. But um, he really wasn't that healthy. And so they did not put him out on the campaign trail. The the vice president was essentially the surrogate. The cabinet officials were the surrogate. He didn't even announce that he wanted to run for a third term. Uh, he was just nominated at the Democratic convention. And quite frankly, at that time, you had this delinked nomination uh, structure at the conventions for president and vice president. And so it was really the Democratic uh, Party elders, if you will, who determined that they liked Henry Wallace, who was sort of the father of the modern progressive party uh, for the most part and, and did a lot of progressive things after he left office. But they liked they liked Roosevelt. They they liked Henry Wallace, but he was way too progressive to be president. And so in came uh, competition from two other candidates for the vice president nomination. And FDR actually wrote a letter of support for all three of them. His sitting vice president, Henry Wallace, but also Truman and the third third candidate. And it confused everybody so much that they decided they had to go on electability as president of the United States. And Truman ended up becoming uh, FDR's vice president in the third term. Let me just okay. say, if, Trump, if Trump's the nominee, Harris is not the VP. Well, Harris is not of the two vice presidential nominees. She's not the one we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about whatever lackey he picks on his side, who is going to be <laughs> that. That is who I don't know who he's going to pick, but totally. that is who we'll be talking about. Well, All right, guys, can we pivot? I really can't wait. stomach talking about Trump every week for the next God knows how many weeks. I pray <laughs> we don't have to at some point. But Caitlin, one note Lord. I want to make is I would very much like the Democrats to go back to the open nomination process, and I would like there to be a VP competition at the Democratic convention uh, to see who will be Joe Biden's VP. I think that would be so much fun, and everybody would have a blast. Caitlin, Sorry, you to add that in. need to hope that things go the way you want, because <laughs> unfortunately, you may be talking about Trump for a long, <laughs> long, long time. Caitlin, we're pretty stuck right I now. I am staying positive here, guys. <laughs> By the way, staying positive. There are more. I might independence. just single max to Tim Scott since you know Trump over here is, or oh my gosh, Towner oh. over here, is <laughs> the double max. But <laughs> we'll both go to the events. There you go. All right. So in other news. I think it's interesting to talk about what's happening in the media because it's so such a significant dimension of you know the the way people absorb information and this week Tucker Carlson was left was booted whatever it is from Fox in the wake of the Dominion settlement for almost 800 million dollars between Fox and, and Dominion. I I was struck by this. It's it's you're talking about the highest rated program on cable on television on in, in television news and a and a huge settlement related to the publication of false conspiracy theories related to Dominion voting equipment in the context of the election. 
And out goes Tucker Carlson. Well, when you cost your company $787 million and the biggest or the worst known secret around Washington is that you go on cable every night and talk about things you don't even fully agree with. That's what happens. I'm glad to see Fox got a backbone finally on this. I'm proud that they I'm I was very happy to, to see this happen. But there are a lot of angry Americans across the country. It's quite to me, I mean, he it's quite interesting that to me, he is he know he is a smart guy. He is a he's he's not who he was on television. He knew what he was doing. Towner's coming on with some thoughts. He knew what he was doing. He was putting out these false conspiracy theories. He was putting out it, whether it was that or what he did night in and night out. It was all about ratings. It was all about attracting viewers. It was all about feeding the people that were predisposed to watch his program, the red meat that gets them to continue watching. And look, I think it's wrong and disgusting and I'm glad he's off the air, but I don't think, I also don't think this is an isolated incident in the media on either with respect to either side. And I think the media is complicit in a lot of the problems we see and experience today in, in the country. And Caitlin, it's, I mean, it's, it's disturbing to me. I think it's, it's fundamentally problematic as far as where we find ourselves. He was an actor. I mean, and, right. and, and that's as well long said, as, that's the point. And as long as the media is all about rate, I mean, look, he was a high, he was the highest rated. He had millions of viewers every night. And look, let, let me, let me say this. He, he's been on a trajectory. He, there are times when he, you know, some of the investigative journalists and some of the questions he asked, but, but the past couple of years, he's really gone down a deep, dark, scary hole. And I'm glad to see that again, he cost Fox $787 million. And unfortunately, I don't think this is the last we're going to see of, of Tucker. It sounds like, you know, whether he goes to Newsmax or his own platform or something else. I'm also very curious to see what Fox does with that 8 PM time slot. But I did a little cheer when I saw the news. But let's also not forget another big media story this week. Don Lemon is also out at CNN because of some pretty uh, nasty comments he made about women and Nikki Haley and being beyond your prime and some of the kind of controversy there in the morning hour with some of his female anchors. So two big media stories yeah. this week, but I know, very di different. Very different. And look, I don't, there's no moral equivalence between what he was out there kind of promoting and what the New York Times does each and every day in, in shading their stories to to favor the left. But it's it's just it's there's a lot of there's a lot of there are a lot of problems in the media, Mark. And it's, I think, at the core of, unfortunately, what has this country twisted up in knots. I'm with Caitlin. I thought it was a good day for the country that 
uh, Tucker was off the air for her, whatever period of time it turns out to be. And I thought the settlement was a good day for the country. Uh, the, the system worked to that extent that there was actually a process for litigating, literally litigating the lies and responsibility for them. The, the unfortunate fact is that uh, it's whack-a-mole and the lies will resurface on a different platform with Tucker. But for the time being, for the time being, he's not acting, which he is uh, an actor, but he's also a liar. And, and that's it's a good thing to take one one liar, even if there are others left. One one fewer liar is a good thing. I also think there had to be more. There's always something you don't know. There's more to that story. It isn't all out yet. Maybe eventually it will be. But I just have to believe that that what we saw in the Dominion lawsuit was some but not all of how bad it really got. And what we read in Tucker's own text messages yeah. that were exposed through the Dominion lawsuit. Yeah. And there are other emails and text messages that, that we haven't seen that I'm sure are worse. Tanner. Do you think everybody at MSNBC just chucked their iPhones in a pool? <laughs> right now so nobody could get to their text messages i feel like i feel like you could you could subpoena those phones and it would be just the same and you know the bottom line here is i don't know that i absolutely agree with that settlement and the reason i don't is because the crazy politicians who should be paying the big fines for bringing it up in the first place and Giuliani and whoever that crazy lady was with Giuliani there for a while, whose name I can't even remember anymore, who was like Trump. Sidney Powell. Sidney Powell. Like they should be paying. They should be paying. Fox should be paying for amplifying those even more when they knew they weren't true. That's for sure. But Fox shouldn't be the only one in this entire process that is, that is all of a sudden paying. And quite frankly, I think we have, and this goes back to Caitlin's initial point uh, about Tucker Carlson being essentially an actor. I think we have a big problem here in this country that we've had for going on 20 years now, maybe 25 years, where we conflate 24-hour news with the word news. And it's not. In any shape or form, it is not. If you want news, there's very few places to go anymore where you can get true unbiased news. It doesn't really exist. You can't even go to your nightly news anymore because very old towner that you can get a list of banned books from the New York Times. There's I did a, get a list of banned books. There's, journalist, there's a source of journalistic integrity. I'm, I'm told. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Something like that. Hey, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's like a, a little diamond in the rough on every single one of those, uh, you know, news channels and newspapers and things like that. You know, they do put out some some information, but you have to use your own brain to sort through what is true. what you think is real and what you think is is true. It's uh, the broken. It's the broken clock thing. If, yeah. if the New York Times is accurate twice a day. That's right. I mean, you know, and they still report news. All of the outlets still report some level of news, but especially the prime time on cable news is it is a scripted show. It is a scripted show designed to bolster ratings. That is the only reason they do it. And 
there's no news being distributed on those on those nightly programs. But the sad part is both sides of the aisle, quite frankly, believe it. They believe it truthfully. It is drilled into their brain. And that is why, uh, in large part, we have the degradation of the of the American you know, society that we have today, in my opinion. And I'll turn over my text messages. God, and they said reality TV was bad. I mean, yeah, I'll take Bravo over cable news any day. Patrick, what does Peter Martin think about the... Peter, what do you think about the... um... About Henry Wallace as vice president. Yeah. yeah, Peter Martin is he is happy his dad is home after a long uh, week of travel and to make an exciting Beltway briefing announcement. I'm an uncle for the first time. Um, my sister had uh, her first baby yesterday, so kids yeah. are all very excited. They have a new baby cousin, um, baby boy. So we're we're pumped. Congratulations. Thanks. Patrick Mazeltov. Yes. <laughs> What's his name, Patrick? What's your nephew's name? His name is, uh, and Towner probably, oh, do you want to tell the name? Uh, his name is Truscott Terrence, apparently wow. a famous general who my brother-in-law is related to, was on the cover of Life magazine, which is now framed in his little nursery, um, and we're calling him Scotty. So, yeah. Wow. That is very Towner French. Totally. I have some research to do tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, spirited as always, fun discussion. I think, gosh, are we in for one heck of a year? I'm I'm rooting for Caitlin to get her wish that we we can stop talking about that guy. <laughs> but uh, I'm not holding my breath, Caitlin. Um, what's your Christmas Carol? I'm dreaming of a what Christmas? That's I'm dreaming oh, of right, right. Trump-free Christmas. <laughs> we're, still, we're still wishing, and it's almost June. God, how many years <laughs> have we been at this? Yeah, it's unbelievable. That's why, that is why he's a force. Because people yeah. can't stop yeah. talking about him. They can't stop laughing at him, with him. They can't even stop laughing when he makes jokes about people to their faces it's he and then endorsing them endorsing right. him it's he's despicable but you can't stop talking about him it's unbelievable it's the new york post in the 1980s except he holds the uh future of our country and the fate of the future of our country in his hands potentially um Those all small, right small hands out in his small hands. (laughs) That is a note to end on. All right. Caitlin, Patrick, Towner, Mark, we will be back next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.